Well, hey, last week we began a new sermon series through the Song of Solomon. We're looking at God's plan for relationship, marriage, and sex. And this song is 3,000 years old, but could not be more relevant for where we are at today. And so if you missed that sermon, I'd encourage you to go online and uh, find that sermon and make sure to uh, get all that info. I think it'll just be so helpful. It's such a foundational uh, sermon uh, for this series. So Sunday night, I sit down uh, with my boys. We're about to watch the Patriots win, and uh, we're ready for that game. Uh, excited about that. And my phone chimes with this text. I, I get this text. Look at the bottom there. This is from Kevin. It says, great stuff today. Only critique during this series, maybe we don't use the phrase, as we round third base. So I don't know if anybody picked up on that, but that's a common thing that I say as we're finishing up the, the sermon. And uh, <laughs> Oh man, so uh, I'll try my best not to do that. But to Kevin, I respond publicly with Titus chapter 1, 15, to the pure, all things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. Just saying. All right, so hey... Really, really excited about this. I believe last week was really helpful for a lot of people, and I pray that this week will be the same. Um, hey, there, there's one great opportunity that we have before all of us uh, throughout this series, and, and, and we are going to invite you to text in any questions that you may have with regards to anything that we've talked about uh, through the series. And so uh, what we're going to do is we're going to take all those questions that you text our way, and what we're going to do with them is we're going to either incorporate them into the up-and-coming sermons for the next two months, or at the very end of the series, the first week of November, we're going to have a panel discussion up here in in lieu of the sermon. And uh, Becky and myself and David and Gail Butler are going to just try to answer as many questions as we possibly can, especially the ones that weren't covered uh, in our uh, sermon series. And David and Gail together have 44 years of pastoral ministry and 43 years of marriage uh, experience. And so I just believe it's going to be really helpful uh, for you guys. And so look forward to that day. And and even during the sermon, if you want to text in um, the questions that you have, we have the the number up there on the screen uh, for you. I think that'll be helpful. We really want this series to be as helpful and as practical as possible. So um, take advantage of that. Now, uh, let's talk for the next little while, uh, still kind of prefacing the series, about how not to approach a sermon series on the Song of Solomon, on marriage and relationship and sex. Here's how not to approach it. So just a few things I want to point out. First of all, don't use this series to show your spouse or your significant other how wrong they have been. In other words, no elbows, right? Through the whole sermon, like, yo, you listening? You listening, babe? Like, none of that, right? The religious leaders, uh, you know the story when uh, they caught the woman in adultery? Uh, the religious leaders uh, were, were ready to just take her out. And Jesus says, listen, you who is without sin, you can cast the first stone. And so here's, here's the, the challenge is, is don't use this sermon series as stones to throw at your significant other. It takes two to tango, and so you take care of you, you focus on you, and let the Lord, the Holy Spirit, do his work in their heart. So that's the first thing. Uh, another way not to approach this sermon series is don't, uh, don't rule something out simply because it doesn't make sense to you. For some of you, I, listen, I get this. This is so against cultural norms, and so if you like that, I don't know about that. Don't just rule it out because it doesn't make sense. You see, a lot of times the scriptures don't jive with how we think because we have been conditioned culturally. And so if it doesn't make sense, don't say, no, 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 because it doesn't make sense doesn't mean that it's not true, it's not right, it's not helpful. It is. It's, it's scripture. And so don't rule it out. Next thing is, is don't say, hey, I've tried that or, or we as a couple have tried that and it doesn't work. Don't say that. Because listen, here, there, there could be a couple of reasons why it felt like it didn't work. One could be your heart. Your heart was just in a bad place as you were attempting to do things, but the heart motive wasn't there. Maybe it was your attitude. Maybe it was your tone. Maybe you've tried it, but you didn't do it consistently, or you didn't do it with longevity. Sometimes it takes things happening for years before you see um, results and heart change. And so it's biblical wisdom from God. It works, period. Follow the scriptures. Next thing, here's how not to approach. Don't simply think about everybody else. Oh, I got a friend. I got a friend who could really use this stuff. You think about how this applies to your life. It's, it's real easy to just think about everybody else and not focus in on yourself. Don't be a Pharisee. 
However, here's the next one, is, is don't fail to share this information with other people. Yeah, you must work on yourself, but this is also very helpful information that God expects. He wants you to share his truth with others, your friends, your, your coworkers, your kids, for sure, parents. Right? We don't have the talk. We have lots of talks, right? And, and so talk about this stuff. I mean, I had a, a, a girl just recently come up to me. I was, I was hanging out, and, and she worked at a, a place that I frequent often. And uh, she came up, her, she just said, man, I'm a mess. She looked a mess. She was just upset. She'd clearly been crying. And she knew that I was a pastor. And, and she said, can we talk? And she just started pouring out just some crazy relational stuff that's going on. And uh, I, I'm telling you, I've got to share some of this information. And it was just really helpful for her. And you've got this. Make sure to share it. Focus on self, how it applies to you, but also share it. Here's the next one. Don't compare your spouse or your boyfriend or girlfriend's sins to yourself. I'll say it this way. Don't keep score. A lot of times you can say, yeah, yeah, I, I'll work on myself, but you know that, that you messed up way worse than me. Like you're 99%, maybe I'm 1%. Listen, don't keep score. That's not how the gospel works. That's not how we as Christians work. Don't do that. Another one is this, is, is don't fool yourself into thinking that you are the exception. I, man, can I tell you, people do this all the time. When I do premarital counseling, man, I, I got couples that come in and be like, yo, I, we are so in love, and I don't know who you've talked to, but our relationship is bulletproof. I mean, you just, we're, I'm like, yeah, give it a week after marriage, and I'm telling you, you can come back from your honeymoon all frazzled. I'm telling you, you have no idea. Listen, do not think that your scenario, your relationship is the exception to every single thing that God says. Listen, people have been around for a long time. You cannot throw a curveball at God. Your issue, your marital struggle isn't an exception for you to bail because you're different. This situation's harder than anything anybody's ever seen before. No, it's not true. God's word is God's word. And so don't think you're the exception. Here, another one, don't fail to talk out these truths. It's so important to talk about this stuff. And we want to encourage you to plug into a connection group as they launch at the end of this month and, and join with other people where you can talk and discuss. And, and that's, that's really important. We encourage you, two primary people to talk to. One is Jesus. Talk to God about this. That might be repenting of sin. God, I, yeah, wow, that was me. I'm struggling here. And I, I confess that to you. And then talk to your significant other. I mean, rides home should be real interesting, right? And uh, if you got kids, maybe later tonight, sit down and talk about this stuff. Really, really important. And listen, a good question for you to ask is, hey, how am I doing in that area? And then if you ask that question, when, they, when they're honest with you, and they'll be honest with you, you better take it, all right? And so, so talk, 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 talk. Very, very important. Another one is, is don't copy methods, apply principles. What I mean is, is, is it'll be easy to say, well, Josh and Becky do this with regards to prayer, with regards to how they do dates, with regards to how they communicate. Listen, if it's helpful Use it, but don't mistake our methods for biblical principles. Methods will change, but, but principles are timeless and, and unchanging. So, for example, we'll talk about gift giving today. That would be a principle. The principle is important that, that we should be giving gifts. Christ was generous and gave gifts. That's a principle. But, but the method, it will vary. My wife does not like flowers. She doesn't want me to bring her home some flowers. She's like, man, bring me something that, that'll last, like dangle on my neck or something, but don't put your money in the flowers. This is how she, that's just how she works. So you get it? Okay, good. And then one more for you is, is don't be lazy and fail to put in the work that this stuff is going to require. Stuff that we're talking about is going to require some, some careful attention, some prayer. And if we don't work hard, we drift in relationships towards tension, towards further and further uh, apart. And so do some work. Do some work. You got it? Ready to get to work? All right, let's get to work. Song of Solomon, chapter 1. Verse 7 is where we are. We're picking up there. If you need a Bible, we've got Bibles throughout the room. Um, if you don't have one at home, we'd love for you to bring that home. Break it in. It's our gift to you. Song of Solomon chapter 1, verse 7. Uh, today we look at dating. And there are so many principles that go just 
far beyond dating. So don't say, well, I'm, I'm hitched. It's all good. I don't need to. No, no. Listen, you keep dating. You keep dating. You keep dating. Your spouse never stop dating. So stay with me. So dating. But last week what we did is we looked at uh, attraction and, and we saw Solomon and this Shulamite girl. They're attracted to each other. They're drawn to each other physically. And then also they're attracted to each other's character. And so the song opens up with, with her seeing him, and she likes what she sees, right? I mean, she says, I need that man to lay a kiss on me right now. And, and the feeling is mutual. There's the physical, but they're careful with the physical attraction. They don't just, just stop there because the physical attraction can confuse us, and they look into, investigate uh, the character. And, and, and so they do some character research from afar, and, and they want to learn a little bit about each other's reputation. And guess what? He checks out. And he does his research, and guess what? She checks out. And so they've looked into the other person's reputation, selflessness, their ability to commit historically before moving into a dating relationship. Do you hear me? You can do a little research, Facebook, hello, before moving into a dating relationship. You got people in your life that know them? Do some research. Now, let's read verse 7. Solomon, Song of Solomon, verse, chapter 1, verse 7 says, Tell me... You whom my soul loves, where you pasture your flock, where you make it lie down at noon. For why should I be like one who veils herself beside the flocks of your companions? So in, in verse 7 here, she, she shares her desire to move into a deeper kind of relationship. Move past the, the friend zone. I've done some research. I've learned a little bit about you. And I want to I move a little bit deeper. She says, tell me where you pasture your, your flocks. In other words, where are you going to be? Because that's where I want to be, right? And so that's what she says. And uh, she wants to hang out more intentionally. Oh, man, that question, right? You bring yourself back to that question if, you've, if you're long past that. And I just get nervous thinking about that question, asking somebody out on a date. I'll never forget the, the attempt to, to ask Becky on a date. And I'll clarify. The, the first attempt looked like this. It didn't work out so well. But I had noticed her from afar. And uh, I just was, wow, this girl's amazing. I'd done my research from afar. Uh, yes, she was beautiful and uh, just great. But I'd done a little more research. And I, I remember telling my buddy Tim, he was my, my doormate and uh, my roommate. And I said, this girl is beautiful and she can sing. I mean, she, can't, she doesn't just sing. She can sing, right? There's a difference. And she can, she can sing. She loves Jesus. Uh, she's got this gentle and quiet spirit. I won't go too much into my history, but uh, the other girls that I've ever dated were not that. And so I'm like, this, I like this. This is, this is really good. And, and people seem to really like her. And I'm just, I'm just drawn to this girl. And so I told my buddy all about that. Well, shortly thereafter, we're hanging out in the cafeteria at our college. And uh, he goes, that, that's her, right? That's, that's Becky you're talking about? I said, yeah, 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 that's it. That, that's her. And, and he goes, okay. You're going, right? I'm like, no, 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 no. He's like, no, you need, to, you, need to go, you need to ask her to go hang out with you. No, I can't do it. And he does one of these numbers where, you know, college kids can be weird sometimes. He comes behind me, and he was bigger than me. And he's like, we're going. And I was like, okay, I'm either, and I'm, my feet are dragging. We're either going to have this awkward scene, or I'm just going to say, okay, okay. And I, so I, I walked up to her, and no lie, it was like a scene off of a teeny bopper movie or something. But as I'm walking up to her, her back's to me at the cafeteria table, this other guy comes and slides in and sits right beside her at the cafeteria table, asks her on a date. They go on a date that, that night. Later that day, I'm walking across campus, and I see her in his red truck drive by and just... Obviously, it didn't work out because he's a loser. And... Um, <laughs> That was first attempt. Second attempt, however, second attempt, however, I said, I'm going to do this on my own terms. Tim was nowhere to be found. This was some time later. A couple of guys attempted to, to spend some time with her later. It didn't work out for them either. And so I, uh, I remember seeing her. I remember she was wearing this red jacket, I remember. And uh, we kind of had this, you know, it was clear something was brewing. And, and so I asked her if she wanted to go out to dinner and a movie, our, our college was showing a movie, kind of like we do, movies in the park. And, and, and this will date me. Our movie that we went to see together, she said yes, was Shrek, the first. 
And there's like seven now. And so that's how old, yeah. And uh, I'm telling you, this, is, this was good. And uh, the rest is history. I'll tell you more later. But, but so this woman, it's, I'm just going to like pour our life out here. This woman tells Solomon, she says, I want some time with you. She says, I, I don't want to be like the, the, the woman who veils herself beside the flocks of your companion. Now here's, here's who those ladies were who veiled themselves and kind of, kind of were around the flocks. Those women were basically women seeking a hookup. And she says, I do not want to be the veiled woman. I want to be an unveiled woman. I want you to, to get to know me. I want you to know me and, and, and love me. And I think that's what we all want deep in our hearts is we want somebody who can know us, flaws, warts and all, and still love us. Now listen, this could not be more relevant to us today. We live in a hookup culture. We live in a a hookup culture. And so many people are are pursuing sexual intimacy without being fully known, without the, the covenant commitment that God calls us to, the way God designed in His perfect, beautiful design. And so often, dates are not dates to unveil the face and get to know them and look into their eyes and hear their story. Oftentimes, dates are just uh, just kind of a, a step towards getting one thing. You don't believe me? The, the Journal of Sex Research says that 78%, 78% of college females admitted to hooking up, which they defined as connecting with a guy they barely know for the purpose of sex. 78%. And the number's way more females than males. So what does that tell us? Tells us that men can be predatory for sex. There are fewer guys hooking up, but the guys who do are doing it over and over and over again with multiple women. So ladies, if he says, oh, you are amazing, I love you, you are everything to me, and tries to push forward, don't buy it. Don't buy it. Let me ask you a question. Is it working, hookup culture? Is it working? I don't think so. If you were to go into the grocery store today at the checkout line, and there's magazines on either side uh, of you, what you're going to see is nearly every magazine has some article, some, something going on with regards to sex. And what specifically are they talking about with regards to sex? If you notice, you read them, it's, they're talking about technique. Five ways to be a better lover. Eight ways to keep things spicy in the bedroom. Now here's what's happened. Is our culture is finding that just casual sex like this is not fulfilling. And so we think, maybe I just need to work on how I do it. Maybe I just need to have better technique. And it's not working. Here's why. Because we're making love with the body, but we're not making love with the soul. That we know and they're known, and they're committed to for life. And this is true of pornography. So many people describe the feeling that they get after looking at pornography. It's this feeling of being empty, a feeling unsatisfied, a feeling of shame, a feeling of frustration, because you're staring at a body. You're not gazing into a soul. On numerous occasions in the Bible, it refers to sexual intimacy this way. It says, he knew her. It doesn't just say he had sexual intimacy. It says he knew her. Adam knew his wife Eve and she conceived. Cain knew his wife and she conceived. Joseph knew Mary not until she had given birth to the virgin-born son. And so the Shulamite girls say, I want to keep my face veiled. But this particular Shulamite girl, she says, I want to unveil my face. I want you to know me. I want you to spend time with me with intentionality. Listen, dating is not a game. It's not a game. It's a step towards knowing and being known. It's a step towards knowing somebody and being known by somebody. So if you're not Working towards marriage, drop the dating culture. Drop it. Told you last week, I'm a fan of the dating culture. If you're sincerely looking to get to know somebody, to move deeper in relationship with them, but don't play games. 
I'm serious about this with regards to my kids. If we're hanging out with extended family, you know that cute joke they like to do where they go up to, to my sons and say, so buddy, you got a girlfriend? I'm like, that's not cute. We don't play that game. We don't play that game. We, we really don't. It's not, it's not how we, I don't want them thinking that way. They, they don't need to think that way. I'll speak with my kids often about the difference between feelings and actions. Feelings, yeah, you can't help that. Even at eight years old, you can feel attracted to somebody. I get that. I'll acknowledge it. I'll laugh with them about it. But of course, I mean, we, we all get that. Common, common sense says that we're not going to encourage her to be his girlfriend. I mean, it's just goofy, right? But we live in a culture that says if you feel something, you got to act upon it. You feel something for somebody? You got, some, you got a girlfriend? No, we don't play that game. Not in my house. And that's, not tr- that's, that's true if you're eight. It's true if you're 25. Don't play games. That's someone else's future spouse you're messing with there. Dating is not a game. It's not a game. If it's, if it's television shows that are designed for 12-year-olds and they start talking about these 12-year-olds having girlfriends and boyfriends, off. I mean, no. Are you kidding me right now? We're not going to put that in front of my kids as if that's normal. It's not. Dating is not a game. It should be fun. But don't play around. So verse 7, she says, I'd like some time with you. Verse 8, check this. He responds. He says, if you do not know, O most beautiful among women, follow the tracks of the flock and pasture your young goats beside the shepherd's tents. Uh, is that a yes? I don't <laughs> here's, the, here's the fun. He's, he's kind of being flirtatious here. He, he's saying, if you don't know where to find me, follow the tracks. Catch me if you can. He's, he's being flirtatious and fun. But he does make it clear, doesn't he? He says, I want you to find me. I find you beautiful, both outward and, and in, inwardly, and, and I want time with you too. And so here's what we're going to do. For the remainder of our time together, if you're a note taker, I want to give you some necessities for dating. I think we should all write this stuff down. Necessities for dating. And, and the first necessity of dating that we have right here, it should be obvious, but the first necessity, this is necessary. Mutual feelings is necessary for dating. The, the feelings that she felt for him were, were mutual. He pursues, she pursues. It's, it's mutual. Listen, if the feeling is not mutual and they want to remain in the friend zone, you better honor that. First Peter chapter 2, 17 says it this way. It says, honor everyone. So somebody has some wishes, you honor their, their wishes. Men especially. Listen, if she is not there, don't you dare ever make a woman feel uncomfortable. Like He's, he's always around me. I, I thought I told him. I'm, I'm not interested. And, and, and many of us have seen that. You've seen it. Before where someone says, I'm not, I'm not interested, but they keep pursuing, they make them feel uncomfortable, they make them feel awkward. Listen, stop it. Just learn that God has a plan for you. Trust God's plan. Not to say that things will never change. Maybe they're, I've seen that too, of course. I've seen people pursue, not interested, hang tight, pray, work on themselves, put good bait on the hook, and, 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 and then in time, the feeling changes. That's, that's great. But listen, do not push if they don't want to be pushed. For these two, the feelings are mutual, so it begins. Now, listen to, to Solomon from the very beginning uh, of, of this more intentional relationship. Look at verses 9 and 10. He says this to her. He says, I compare you, my love, to a mare among Pharaoh's chariots. Your cheeks are lovely with ornaments, your neck with strings of jewels. Our, our next necessity in dating is this. It's steady nurturing. Steady nurturing. Nurturing is when you care for and encourage the growth and the development of another person. And so they get some time together. And as soon as he sees her, he says, you are as beautiful as a horse, girl. (laughs) Fellas, I don't advise you to ever use that line. Ever, ever. But this was actually a huge compliment chariots of of pharaoh pharaoh is filthy rich and a mare stands out he's saying you are most amazing of women ladies i imagine if you're going out on a date you take some time maybe hours to get ready and, and look good and beautiful and you go out on that date and he says nothing about how you look i'm i'm guessing you might begin to feel a little bit insecure 
For this woman here, we know that she has a history of insecurity. If you look back up to verses 5 and 6, she's extremely insecure with regards to how she looks because of how her skin had been darkened by the sun, which was not attractive in that culture because that meant you were a peasant. You were working out in the fields. And so she she even says, don't look at me. But from the very beginning of this intentional time together, he assures her, you are amazing. You are beautiful. And what he's doing is he's nurturing her heart. He's helping her to grow and to be developed past her insecurities. And in fact, he will compliment her throughout the entire book. I mean, I am just loaded with compliments. I've been working on my wife because of all my studies and preparations for this series. She says, you got to stop it. You got to stop it. But, but man, this is a must. You must compliment, you must assure her, you must nurture her heart. He says things like, oh, most beautiful among women, uh, a lily among the brambles. You are my beautiful love. You are beautiful. You are beautiful. You are a dove. I mean, just over and over and over. Listen, when you think you're getting to that point where it is just so cheesy, you're almost there. Keep going. Right? I mean, just keep Keep going. Now, now he, he nurtures her, and, and here's another way that he nurtures her and assures her of her worth and that she is worthy of adoration, and that is with gifts. Verse 10, he, he describes the ornaments on her uh, lovely cheeks and her, her neck with strings of, of jewels. Now, remember, she's a very poor peasant girl who had worked in the fields, had been darkened by the field. I believe that she likely did not have a dad in her life because as we see later on, when it comes time to meet the parents, she says, I'm going to bring you to meet mom. Also because in verse 6, she says that she's dark because she was forced to work the fields because her mother's sons were angry with her. So dad's nowhere in the picture. And without a father in that culture, it would have meant that she would be poor. So where do you think this girl got all this jewelry from? I'm thinking King Solomon hooked her up with some 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 jewelry. Now, there's a simple book that I'd encourage you to get a hold of that is incredibly helpful. It's a book called The Five Love Languages by Gary Chapman. If you've never read that, you you got to read that whether you've been married for a very, very long time or you're thinking someday down the road you're going to get married. you got to read this book. He says this. He says that every person has at least one love language, a, a way that they communicate love, a way that they like to receive love. And, and, and so here, here's the, the love languages that he says. He says there's words of affirmation, there's acts of service, there's receiving gifts, there's quality time, and then there's physical touch. And so which one for you, think about it in your own life, which one for you makes you feel especially treasured? For me, maybe I just sound like a guy here, but physical touch. You're thinking, you dog. Listen, we had a conversation. We had a conversation uh, a while back earlier on in our marriage. And, and, and we, I felt as though I was, and just being honest, I felt as though I was the one who was, who was kind of approaching her with uh, the advances, you know what I mean? And, and, and one day she just reached out and grabbed my hand. I said, I don't know that it feels like you never are the one to initiate holding my hand. That was actually, real. that's the kind of stuff I say when you got to talk this stuff out, talk this stuff out. For her, it's, it's receiving gifts. And we're not loaded, so I'm not bringing her on some surprise trip to the Bahamas. It might mean like, hey, after work one day, I'm going to come home with a pumpkin spice latte for my girl. I mean, she, that means so much to her. And gifts can change a little bit. Like as, as we started to have babies, it turned into quality time. It also, in a, in a sense, turned into acts of service. I mean, I come home from work and she goes, help, here's take the baby, right? And I mean, just serve, change a diaper, do something. But you got to go out of your way to discover how is it that he or she receives love. And what you'll find is that's also how you tend to communicate love. And so we've had conversations where she maybe wasn't really feeling particularly loved well by me. I'm, what are you talking about? I was all over you. <laughs> you see what I mean? And you, you tend to give what you want to receive, but you have to learn how they receive and give what they are looking for. And for Solomon, he's doing that. I mean, he gives her words of affirmation. You're beautiful. You're beautiful. You're a dove. You're amazing. And he gives her gifts. Here's a necklace. Here's earrings. Because you deserve it. And it works. I mean, if you just keep reading, it, it works. I mean, she feels loved and cherished. In, in fact, skip all the way to, to chapter 2, verse 1. She goes from, I am dark and I am ugly, don't look at me, to I am a rose. I am 
the lily of the valley. I mean, she feels nurtured and loved and valued. And, and, and that's what we need to do is we need to help them to grow and to see their worth to us. In your dating relationships, there needs to be nurturing. You need it. You need that person that you're in a relationship with to make you better. You need that person that you're in a relationship with to bring you closer and closer and closer to the Lord. If not, something, something's off. Another necessity is this, is godly affirmation. Look at, look at verse 11 with me. It says, we, this is the others speaking, we will make for you ornaments of gold studded with silver. And so the others, the backup singers in this song are speaking, and they say, listen, we are into this too. It's not just Solomon and the Shulamite girl saying, we are great, we're an awesome couple, this is awesome. Others are saying, no, 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 we're going to help you get ready to go on this next day. We affirm this, we, we, we love you, and we're in this with you. Listen, if you're thrilled about a relationship that you're in or you're pursuing, but the people that are trusted, godly people in your life are not, red flag. Not to say that other people can't make mistakes and you're right, but listen, I'm telling you, I know it makes for a great Hollywood movie, but normally it doesn't work like that. If other people aren't into it, normally it's a sign you need to pay attention, something's off. Proverbs chapter 12, 15 says this, says, the way of the fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. So you need to be wise, and you need to listen to the voices of the other people that God has put in your life, especially if they have a history of I love you, I care for you, and they're talking to you because they love you and they care for you and they want to keep you from being hurt. So if they say that, you slow down, you pray, you evaluate, you continue to seek more godly counsel. And maybe on down the road it changes, maybe not. But trust people. Trust the people God's put in your life. Here's the next necessity. Inescapable thoughts. Inescapable thoughts. Look at verses 12 through 14. It says, While the king was on his couch, my nard gave forth its fragrance, My beloved is to me a sachet of myrrh that lies between my breasts. My beloved is to me a cluster of henna blossoms in the vineyards of En Gedi. Now, we need to be really careful with the couch talk here because couch is not snuggling up on the sofa at 11 o'clock at night watching a movie that you never actually watch at all, right? That's not what we're talking... Couch for them in that culture was essentially a a table, and people would kind of lounge on these these pillow cushions as they they ate, right, for conversation. And they would linger there, and and they would talk. And she says, my perfume, Nard, it, it smelled nice, but then she says, but his smell, oh, it goes with me wherever I go. He is like a sachet of myrrh between my breasts. That is like a pouch of myrrh dangling on a necklace and I could smell it wherever I go I could I I could smell it in other words wherever he goes he is with me my thoughts for him are inescapable I cannot stop thinking about him listen do you find yourself thinking about that person like all the time like writing their name and and you're just always drinking do you that's a that's a good thing I'm telling you, when, I, when Becky and I first started dating, I could not go throughout my day without thinking about her, writing her name. I got to talk to her. We didn't have cell phones, and, or at least I didn't, and I was a broke college kid, and so I just had, I had, to get, I had to talk to her. Today, I can't go throughout my day without a text, a phone call, even in the middle of the work day. How's it going? What's going on? I just, I, I just can't. But have you ever been in a relationship where you go away on a trip, and you come back, and you're like, whoa. I didn't even think about them. It's a sign. It's a sign. You might want to figure out, is this right? Is this the one? Because you wouldn't want somebody feeling that way about you, going out and not thinking about you. So be honest with that kind of stuff. Don't date for fun. Don't date for convenience. Don't date simply for companionship. Make sure that you have that, I cannot live without them going on. You want that reciprocated and so you gotta you gotta give that here's the next necessity pursuit of purity 
incredibly important. Look at 15 with me. This is him speaking now. He says, behold, you are beautiful, my love. Behold, you are beautiful. Your eyes are doves. Behold, you are beautiful, my beloved, truly delightful. Our couch is green. The beams of our house are cedar. Our rafters are pine. So Solomon speaks up, and he says, you're beautiful. You're beautiful. You are so beautiful. Don't stop complimenting. Your eyes are doves. Now, when he looks into her eyes, I don't think that she had like these wing-like eyes that looked like doves. Doves were a symbol of peace. Here's what's happening. Solomon's compliments are going beyond the beauty, the outward uh, attraction. You're beautiful, the earrings on your cheeks, the, the necklace on your neck. They've now gone on probably several dates, and he's saying, listen, when I look into your eyes, peace. I see the deeper you. Yes, there's physical attraction. I'm attracted, but you're not just a body. You're a soul. You are a person that when I look at you, I adore you. I adore you. Now, here's how this is evidenced. It's, in, it's evidenced in, in their pursuit of physical purity. Verses 16 and 17, he describes the setting on one of their dates here. He says, our couch is green. Don't think they actually had a green couch. The, the, the beams are cedar. We're not talking about beams in their ceiling. The rafters are, are, are pine. What's he describing? He's describing an outdoor setting. Say, the arboretum around the corner. Here's what they're not doing. They're not snuggled up on the sofa at night watching a movie. He sees her soul. He cares about her more than just her, her body. And so he sets the stage for purity by saying, let's do this thing outside. Let's, let's date a little bit more publicly. And every other occasion where we see their time together, it's in some kind of public setting until their wedding night. And that'll be fun when we go into the wedding chamber at the end of chapter 3. But they are in public places, outdoors. They go to his banqueting table. Solomon is a king in a palace, the banqueting table, but it's public. Why? Because they want to be pure. They physically want to honor God. They want to save sex, which is a great, beautiful, amazing gift of God until they have committed to each other, until death do us part. Well, Josh, this, this girl, I'm telling you, she is the one. I mean, she's the one. She, she is, listen, I don't know how many times you've said that or thought that, but I had a couple of those when I was in high school. Like, oh, yeah, she's the one. Probably even in, like, fifth grade. This girl, it's like I saw her. She was amazing. Listen, I, listen, no. God says, listen, until you have committed, that is covenanted with this person before me and before the witnesses, before you do that, listen, save it. Not because I'm some killjoy, but because I have an amazing beautiful gift for you. Remember, you're not the exception to the rule. Oh, but our love is a rare love. You're not the exception to the rule. And if you have struggled and, and, and not saved yourself, listen, God doesn't want to shame you. We've talked about that. God does not have any desire to shame you. He has boundless, endless grace for you. But here's the deal. From this point forward, commit to pursue purity. Establish clear boundaries around your physical relationship. A few more necessities. Not rounding third base, but getting more serious. A few more necessities. And that is future-facing. It's necessary that your relationship, in order to continue, is future-facing. It's facing the future. Is there a future together? You've got to ask these questions. Again, not for companionship or convenience, or so as not to break their heart. I'll, I'll, I'll stay in there a little bit longer, at least until Christmas. I don't want to break their heart during the holidays. No. Or is there a future? Look at chapter 2, verses 1, 2, and 3. Is it starting to get serious here? She says, I'm a rose of Sharon, a lily of the valleys. He says, as a lily among the brambles, so is my love among the young women. She says, as an apple tree among the trees of the forest, so is my beloved among the young women. With great delight, I sat in his shadow, and his fruit was sweet to my taste. Here's what we see. He says, you are a rare lily. Like a flower poking through the briars. That's rare. You don't see that very often. She says, you were like an apple tree in the forest. When you see an apple tree in the middle of a forest and not an orchard, you notice 
They're, they're saying to each other, you are my rare love. You are my one and only. They're starting to think about the future. I, 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 wanna, I think I want to be with you for the rest of my life. I think I want that kind of commitment. Listen, married friends, engaged friends, do you remember when you were at that place where you first started exploring what would it look like for us to, to have a life together to, to, for the rest of our lives? What would that look like? You know, that's exciting, so exhilarating. I, I just, just distinctly remember all of that. I remember with Becky having these conversations of, do we move to Virginia so that I can uh, pursue seminary? Do we, do we stay in Massachusetts? Could we, could we pull it off here and, and maybe get married earlier? Do we move to New York City? I had an opportunity to, to serve there. Uh, Virginia, Massachusetts, I don't, I don't know. Right? How many kids do you want? I wanted five, I'm just saying. And so we're, we're working in that. I'm just kidding. This is the point in the relationship where, listen, if you guys can't get there where you, a future together, we want it, it's going to work. If, if you can't get there, slow down, pull the brakes, because that's what you need to see. Can they see a future with you? Can you see a future with them? So important. Just, it's just so important. They're saying, you're my one and only. Here's the next necessity, provision and protection. Look at, look at verse 4 now of chapter 2. She says, he brought me to the banqueting house, and his banner over me was love. What do we see here? We see she's going now again to a public place, to his banqueting house, and he's providing for her. He, he, he's making sure she's fed. Ladies, we need to, we need to ask, when, when we think about our future, we need to ask, when I have kids, is this man going to be able to provide for me? Does he show signs of it right now? Like the ability to provide for me? Does he pick up the check at at dinner? Or does he kind of give you that look like, does he want to provide? You're you're in college. Is he a hard worker? Or does he just want to play all the time? You're not in college. Does he have a job? Does he have ambitions? Does he have plans? Can he provide? We also need to see about their protection. Is this person able to protect? Specifically here, she says, his banner over me is love. This is a military illustration. See, in those days, militarily, if you were near your nation's banner or their flag, there was safety and protection when you came up under the nation's banner or the flag. And what is Solomon's banner? What is his flag? His banner, his flag over her is love. She's saying there's protection under your love. Not under this feeling of love, but biblical love where you are committed to me. This is marriage displaying a committed kind of love. This is marriage under the example of Jesus. Ephesians chapter 5 says, men, that we are to love her the way Christ loves us and gave himself up for us. Jesus' love says, no matter what, no matter what, no matter what, I will be faithful to you. If we're going to do that, it means no matter what, no matter what, no matter what, I will be faithful to you. She has kids. Her body changes. She does not need to worry that you're going to go find some younger woman that's maybe a little bit more shapely. No matter what, I will never leave you. Marriage and babies leaves women much more vulnerable than it does men. Trust me, I've seen it even just lately. But our ladies' men need to know they're secure with us. If you leave her and you've had kids together, she's perhaps put her career on hold for a season so that she could raise the children. It's going to be a little more difficult for her to jump back into the the workforce because she she doesn't have this this beautifully laid-out resume. You leave her, you put her in a vulnerable position. But our ladies' men should never, never have to fear this. Why? Because the banner that they're under is love. The protection, the flag they come under is biblical love, Jesus' love, selfless, sacrificial love displayed perfectly for us on the cross where he gave it all. Well, I don't know. Our our, situation is really, really tough. I mean, she's just been... So rough to live with. She nags, she's painful. Oh, no, my gosh, no. What if Jesus said that on the cross? No, I don't want to. They're not worth it. 
They don't love me back very well. That's not how it works. We are to love the way Jesus loved. Period. Ladies, the guy you're dating, is he a protective spirit towards you before marriage? And if he's not, be very concerned with what he's going to be like after marriage, after he's sealed the deal. I remember a breakthrough moment uh, with my future father-in-law with regards to protection in a sense. Uh, we, were, we were driving, and Becky's tire on her car just ruptured, and she got it pulled nicely to the side of the road, and uh, she was 12 hours away, I think, from her dad, and uh, I came, and I, I remember changing the tire, and uh, man, good thing I was around, right? I mean, because I'm so mechanically inclined. <laughs> But I, I came and changed the tire. And it was actually a big moment for, for me and her dad. I remember talking to her dad and kind of telling him what happened. And, he, of course, he was, he was proud, but he also asked, how long did it take you to do it? And I said, oh, like five or ten minutes or so. He's like, yeah, I can change a tire in three. <laughs> Anyhow, listen, can your man care for you? Can he protect you? Can he provide for you? Is that the position he takes with you? That's how it needs to be. And the protection goes both ways. Hear me on this. It does go both ways. Becky and I have been together, including dating, for 16 years now. And never once, never once, have I ever felt like she doesn't have my back. She protects and defends my name and reputation to the end. Never once have I ever been concerned that she is bad-mouthing me, not to her girlfriends, not to church people, not even to her mom or to her dad or to her siblings, which I have seen to be one of the number one challenges for married couples, is bad-mouthing your spouse to other people. Listen, in the Bible, Genesis chapter 2, as we looked at last week, says you leave your father and your mother and you hold fast to your spouse. And so what that means is you leave and you're loyal to them. They are yours. Do not bad mouth them. If you need counsel, get counsel together. But do not bad mouth your spouse. Protect him. Men, is she protective of you? Women, is he protective of, of you? So important. So important. Here's our last one. One more necessity for dating, and that is, this is huge, and we could, we could hang here for a very long time. We won't. But one more necessity for dating is this, times of testing. You need times of testing. When, I, when a couple comes to me for premarital counseling prior to marriage, one thing I'm looking for, one of many things, but one thing I'm looking for is, has this relationship been tested? Has it kind of gone through the, the fire? Has it weathered some, some storms? Listen to, let me just show you some tests that they go through. Look at verses 5 through 7. She says, sustain me with raisins, refresh me with apples, for I am sick with love. His left hand is under my head, and his right hand embraces me. I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles of the field or the does of the field. Um, do not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. This is actually kind of a funny one. The, the first test that we see these guys going through here is physical testing. So she's been at the banqueting table with him. It says he has one hand under her head, and he's got the other hand wrapped around her. I, I tr- I've been trying all week to imagine what this looks like, you know. I don't, I don't know, but it's, he's a contortionist or something, but they are straight snuggling right now. And, and, and what does she say? She says, sustain me with raisins. Refresh me with apples. Sweets, right? Give me some sweets, for I am sick with love. So they're snuggling, and she's saying, woo Oh, man, somebody got to give me some snicker bars right now because my blood sugar is dropping, right? I mean, she, this man is messing me up. But then they exercise restraint. And they say, we're going to wait until our wedding night to progress. We're going to wait. We're going to wait. And there's boundaries. We're not going to go beyond this. And some Christians will say, well, you know, I, I don't want that feeling. God, take it away from me. Really? You don't want God to take that away from you. You want, it, you want that. But here's what she warns to us today. She says, listen, so here's the deal. That's a good thing. That's, that's God thing. God's given you that. That's a natural progression. So she says, so here's the deal. Don't stir up or awaken love until it pleases. In other words, be careful not to start this too early. 
Don't start this physical intimacy too early. So often physical intimacy is illustrated with fire. Oh, the burning passion of my heart, right? You've heard that before. Proverbs 6, verse 27, talks about physical attraction like this. It says, can a man carry fire next to his chest and not be burned? Listen, passion is God-given. It's, 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 it's good. However, there needs to be some boundaries, kind of like with fire. I like fire in my fireplace in my living room. I do not like fire in my basement. Not a, not a good thing. There has to be some boundaries for passion. And so she warns to us, she says, listen, don't let this thing start burning until the right time. And when is the right time? The right time is when marriage is clearly in view. And even still, there has to be boundaries until your wedding night. So you've got to ask this question. Is this person that I'm dating able to exercise restraint? Like they were. Like, whoo, get me out of here right now. Can they exercise restraint? Because if not, what makes you think that when you're married, they're going to be able to exercise restraint when when some beautiful person comes walking by, some co-worker starts advancing on them? You need evidence of it right now. So the first test is physical testing. The the next test is is distance. Is distance. Now, now, not all of us experience distance in a relationship. They did. Look what, look what she says, verse 8. She says, The voice of my beloved, behold, he comes leaping over the mountain, bounding over the hills. I mean, Solomon, man, that's impressive. No, he's not leaping over mountains. He's not jumping over hills. What she's saying is he's going through great lengths to be with me. Great lengths. I remember when the first summer after we had met, and we were just really falling hard for each other, and I remember that first summer, being like 26 hours driving time away from each other was so hard. And she came down and she visited me. I was directing a camp at the time. And uh, I remember showing her around and then putting her in my car. And we drive to the airport to drop her off so that she could go home. And, and her dad, a couple weeks prior, had said, hey, you want to come with us to Cape Cod uh, on vacation? I said, I've never been to Cape Cod. It sounds cool, but oh, I can't. I'm directing this camp. I'm real committed to it. I don't know of anybody else who can take my place. I got I to gotta be there. Thank you, but I, I can't. Well, I remember bringing her to the airport after she visited me and my family for a week and dropping her off at the airport. And the drive home from the airport to my house was some of the thickest pain in my heart I can ever remember. I just remember feeling, oh, I was just sick to my stomach having to be away from this girl for the rest of our summer. I just couldn't handle it. And so I get home from the airport, and I, I go online, and I was looking all over the internet trying to find, and I found an airplane ticket that was massively expensive for me as a college kid, $128 round trip to Hartford, Connecticut from Atlanta, Georgia. So I call up her dad. I'm all nervous. I said, uh, Mr. Spring, um, that offer to uh, go, go to C- C- Cape Cod, uh, is, is, can, is that still, still available? He goes, yeah, of course. And uh, I said, okay, well, I found a ticket. And she, she's still sitting in the airport in Atlanta. She hadn't even left yet. And I found a, a ticket. And uh, she and her family, the next day after she gets back, hop in the car, drive to Cape Cod. And the very next day, I take my flight up to Hartford, Connecticut. Her cousin drives me to their house and pick up her parents' car, and I drive all the way across Massachusetts up Cape Cod, this exotic land of Cape Cod. And I get there, and I remember I had arranged it with her parents that it was dark outside by the time I got there. So I went, parked the car, and climbed up in a lifeguard stand on the beach. And her family says to to her, says, hey, we're going to go on a a night walk on the beach. She goes, no, I don't want to go. She, she wanted to stay and talk to me. But uh, she, no, 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 you got to go. We're going. And so they go to the beach, and, and they get down to the beach, and I'm up on the lifeguard stand. It was dark. She couldn't even see me up there. And I'm going, excuse me, folks. Hurricane winds are coming. You, you need to evacuate the beach. Please evacuate the beach. And she says, this, guys, who is this idiot up there? And I don't know. Let's go find out. And they get closer, and it was me. And she said she was a little nervous that I was a little prematurely going to ask her to marry her right there. I didn't, but we were able to spend the time together at Cape Cod, and uh, now I love Cape Cod and love this woman. Leaping over mountains, bounding over hills, whatever I got to do to see my girl. Distance was a test, but we made it work. There are other tests that they have that we don't get a lot of specifics about, but let's read this section here, 9 through 15. 
It says, my beloved is like a gazelle or a young stag. Behold, there he stands behind our wall, gazing through the windows, looking through the lattice. My beloved speaks and says to me, arise, my love, my beautiful one, and come away. For behold, the winter is past, the rain is over and gone. The flowers appear on the earth, and the time of singing has come. The voice of the turtle dove is heard in our land, and the fig tree ripens its figs, and the vines are in blossom, and they give forth fragrance. Arise, my love, my beautiful one, and come away, O my dove, in the clefts of the rock, in the crannies of the cliff. Let me see your face. Let me hear your voice. Your voice is sweet. Your face is lovely. Catch the foxes for us, the little foxes that spoil the vineyards, for our vineyards are in blossom. Now initially, I don't know if you caught this, but it sounds a little creepy. He's looking through the lattice. He's looking through her window. But poetically, here's what's happening. There's some kind of challenge that has happened in their relationship, something that has come up that has caused her to retreat that has caused her to move inward and has caused her to hide. Natural self-defense, self-protection. And he is discerning her heart. He's looking into her heart and he's saying, listen, I'm not quitting. I'm not bailing. He doesn't run away. He works through it. He keeps pursuing. Men, listen to me. First Peter chapter 3, verse 7 says this, that we are to live with our wives in an understanding way. But you got to do whatever you got to do so that you can look at this woman and discern her and know what's going on in the deep recesses of her heart because women are deep. Seek to understand what's going on. Exercise discernment. Listen. And he calls out. He says, come away. Come away with me. Come out of the crannies of the cliff, my dove. I'm fighting for you. At some point, they even need to get some help through whatever's going on. Maybe it's the godly affirmers that we heard from earlier. But verse 15, she says this. She says, catch the little foxes for us. So she's calling out to someone, we need some help to get these little foxes who are eating the fruit, spoiling the the vineyard. Sometimes you're going to need relational help, and that's okay. They say, "We we need a little bit of help to figure this thing out. And they seek it out. And listen, tests are not fun, but they're very important. Has your relationship been tested? Is the tendency of that person to bail or to keep fighting? Now notice after the test, what does she say? Look at 16. She says, my beloved is mine. I am his. He grazes among the lilies until the day breeze and the shadows flee. Turn, my love, be like a gazelle or a young stag on the cleft mountains. So what does she say after the tests come? She says, I'm convinced this man will never leave me. He'll never leave me until the day breeze, until the shadows are gone, so the sun goes down. She's saying, he's not going to leave me. This couple has worked through some stuff, haven't they? But this is a good sign. They worked through it in a healthy and a godly way. And what is the result? Can we just close with the result here? Look at chapter 3, 1 through 5. It says, on my bed by night, I sought him who my soul loves. I sought him but found him not. I will rise now and go about the city in the streets and in the squares. I will seek him who my soul loves. I sought him but found him not. The watchmen found me and as they, as they went about the city, have you seen him who my soul loves? Scarcely I had passed them when I found him who my soul loves. I held him and would not let him go until I had brought him into my mother's house and in the chamber of her who conceived me. And one more time she says it again, I adjure you. O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles or the does of the field, that you do not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. I love this. The relationship has progressed in a healthy, godly way. They've set clear boundaries. They've worked through some stuff. They've had some tests. And now she's convinced he's not going to leave me. He's going to be faithful. This is the kind of man I want to marry. And then in verse 4, she brings him to meet Mama. They're getting real close. And next week, we have a wedding, beginning in verse 6. But listen, a healthy marriage doesn't start at marriage. A healthy marriage starts at healthy dating. This is so important. I want to encourage you to work through the stuff we've talked about today. To date well. To date godly. To date under the example of the scriptures that God has given us. And that's how you're going to cultivate a healthy marriage now. Work on it now. Can we close in prayer? Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for these truths that are so heavy and so important and so practical. And God, we pray that you would just allow us to date well, to date in a way that is honoring to you. God, please move in our midst.
Show us where we're off. Show us where we need to repent. Show us how we need to talk to our, our, our partner today. God, do your work in our midst so that as we respond in song, that we would respond to you. We would respond to your truth. And so, God, we, we commit every single one of my friends in this room to you. I pray, Lord, that you would just move in their hearts in a way that only you can. I pray that, that out of healthy dating would come healthy relationships that would honor you and it would be so gratifying, glorifying, and sanctifying. And God, I pray lastly that if there's anybody in here who doesn't know that banner of love, Jesus, that we talked about, that selfless and sacrificial love that God would become a man and die in our place on the cross that they would turn from living a life independent of you and they would turn after Jesus, that they would pursue Jesus. So God, we commit it to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.